Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael, and we're going to talk more about politics today and the upcoming elections. We welcome back to the program our political correspondent. <laughs> we've t- we've given her that title anyway. Yeah, no money, just a title. Right, Marjorie Hershey. <laughs> Marjorie Hershey is with us. She's a professor of political science at Indiana University and an observer of all things political. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. I think, I think we ought to advise people to buckle their seatbelts or, or you know, something because I think yeah. this is going to be oh, quite yeah. a show. I hope so. I think so. And <laughs> call early, call often. We'll, we'll take all your questions. Yes, we have a gardening correspondent and a political correspondent. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that says about us. But. <laughs> well, Margie, welcome. We're balanced. Yeah. Thank you. Welcome to the program. Well, just not to say fair and balanced. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, we're not fair, no, Mary no, Catherine. No, let's, not let's, get, let's get right into this. I, we're going to be talking about uh, sort of the national scene and the state scene today. So, um, Margie, you know, what do you say? What are the key things that you're seeing as we head toward November the 7th? Okay, let me give you the predictions from the person who I think is the most respected for doing these predictions, which is definitely not me, a guy named Charlie Cook from the Cook Political Report in Washington. His most recent predictions, he is one of the few who's, uh, who's got some good basis for what he's saying, and these were offered two days ago, were that in the U.S. House of Representatives, the Democrats, he expects, will take between 20 and 35 seats from the Republicans, a net gain. Now, you know that the Democrats need 15 seats to take over control of the mm-hmm. House of Representatives, so that would mean a fairly slim Democratic margin in the House. Now, uh, the Republicans have been able to control the House pretty successfully with a slim margin because they're a very disciplined party in the House of Representatives. The Democrats are less disciplined. Whether or not they will be as capable of keeping control of the House with a small margin, presuming that these predictions are correct, is a whole other question. Cook argues that in the Senate, the Democrats will gain between four and six seats. Uh, they need six seats to take control of the Senate, which means they would everything would have to break right for the Democrats to take control of the Senate. Mm-hmm. So that's the sense of where it stands nationally. Now, all of this has to be with the most important caveat of all, and that's that if the election were held today, and of course the election is not being held today, We've got 11 more days. Um, It's not at all unusual that in the last few days of the campaign, um, interesting events happen and votes that are made up, uh, people who make up their minds in the last 10 or, or so days of the campaign, typically tend to break heavily for one side rather than the other. They don't tend to divide evenly. So uh, the fat lady has not yet sung with regard to this election, and we won't know that for sure until after we see the results. Well, so all of this is speculation. You know, as Mary Catherine said, you know, buckle your seatbelts for this show, but also for just the, the next, next 11 yes, days. Yes. But there have been some things that have happened in the last three or four days that may swing some things one way or the other. Do you want to address that? There have been. There have been several. Um, as we get closer to Election Day, of course, the ads get more vicious and more negative, and we've seen some notable ads um, gotten national coverage, one in Tennessee, for example, by the Republican National Committee against Representative Harold Ford, Jr., who's running for the Senate. That is a really interesting example for me because it helps us understand the different kinds of spending that parties are able to do. The parties are able to do a huge amount of spending this year. They're raising a tremendous amount of money. It may be that they're even going to raise more money this year than they did in the 2004 presidential race, which is just extraordinary for a midterm election. Mm The parties are allowed to give direct contributions to their Senate and House candidates, but those are very limited. They're pretty small. The second kind of spending that the parties can do is called coordinated spending, where they can buy some stuff for a campaign with the coordination of the campaign. For example, they can buy polling results to give to the campaign. That is also limited. It's more than direct contributions are allowed to be, but it's still pretty limited. Ever since 1996, the Supreme Court said parties are allowed a third form of spending, and that is called independent expenditures. And there's the rub in this year's campaigns Mm -hmm. and in previous year's campaigns. 
independent expenditures mean that the party can spend an unlimited amount. The Supreme Court says that is the party's free speech right to spend an unlimited amount of money in a race as long as it does not coordinate its efforts with the candidate. The party has to set up literally a separate committee that is supposed to have no contact with the rest of the party, and it runs the independent expenditures, the ads that are run in those races. Now, that is a perfect recipe for irresponsible campaigning mm-hmm. because when a national party um, runs an ad that makes a charge, and 95% of these independent expenditures are negatives, they're attack ads, who do you hold responsible as a voter? The party is not on the ballot. party's name is on the ballot, but you're voting for the candidates. It's even more obvious in the case of an independent group that comes, uh, an interest group of some kind, that comes in and can spend a million, two million dollars as long as it does not coordinate with the campaign. But if that independent group or party makes uh, a challenge, makes a statement that bothers you, how do you hold that person accountable? They're not on the ballot. Mm -hmm. And that's what we saw in the Ford campaign in which there was a Republican National Committee ad that started with a young woman wearing a strand of pearls and a kind of come-hither expression and very little else, talking about having met Harold Ford. She's supposedly talking to him at a Playboy party. And then there are some satirical statements made about the Democrats and about Ford. And at the end, she gives a very broad wink and says, Harold, call me. Um, This is a, you know, this is a difficult ad to deal with. And the challenge is, what do you do as a voter? The head of the Republican National Committee, Ken Melman, said in response, this is an independent ad. I have no control over this ad. I can't pull it because it's not my ad. And he's right in saying that. Mm -hmm. If he weren't, this would not be independent spending. On the other hand, the ad did go off the air very shortly after he was asked to pull it. So how independent is independent spending? The and it, it didn't. It didn't. I mean, it caused such a, a rancor that I've seen the ad and, and, you know, many people across the country have seen it. And normally we wouldn't have had it not been so offensive. That's right. And uh, this is what happened with the Swift Boat campaign in 2004. That ad buy was very small. The mm-hmm. ad ran in only about seven small towns, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and a few other places that called into question whether John Kerry deserved the medals he had won in Vietnam. But because of the the very strong negative tone of the ad, it was carried on news programs mm-hmm. all over the country. So the Swift Boat veterans got a huge uh, amount Bang of impact. for their buck, right, yeah. So how do, how do these independent ads that are purchased by the national committees – Um, differ from the 527s that we've heard so much about? Okay. There are so many different categories of spending, and and I don't don't want to generate mass headaches um, by going through all of them. The 527s are doing something different. It's called issue advocacy. Those are the swift boat. Those were the Swift Boat ads, right? That was the 527 right. group. Yeah. That's right. And there are 527 groups all over mm-hmm. the campaigns right now. Um, these are groups that are chartered by the Internal Revenue Service rather than under federal election commission law. And uh, they are allowed to do issue ads defined very broadly, which means they cannot say vote for a candidate or vote against a candidate, but they can say almost anything else. They can say call candidate so-and-so and and tell her that she's totally wrong about such and such of an issue. Um, They also are not allowed to coordinate with the candidate's campaign. And there are times when, as I suspect one of the campaigns locally feels about one of the 527 groups that made a whole lot of calls in this district that may not have helped that candidate's campaign, sometimes the candidates really do feel the pain of the fact that these are supposed to be independent. Okay. A couple other Follow-ups. Let me give the phone number again, though, 855-0811-877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu. Uh, when you, we were talking about – when you were talking before about, you know, if the election were held today, this is the picture today, how much um, – you know, how much movement might there be in, in turnout and how important is the idea that 
you know, we, if the election were held today, it's what people think. But who's going to get their people to the polls? That's crucial. And that's why I suspect that a lot of the predictions that Democrats are going to, to run the table this year are exaggerated. Um, it used to be that the Democratic Party was the party that did a wonderful job in voter turnout. That was when labor unions were bigger and they would have volunteers going door to door. Now we've seen labor unions are becoming a smaller and smaller portion of the workforce, and it's the Republicans who have a masterful voter turnout operation. They have done a tremendous amount of research in what's called micro-targeting, of picking out what kinds of people are most likely to vote Republican, and then which among those people have not showed up to the polls in recent years, and then doing their best to contact just those people with specific appeals that are designed to deal with the kinds of issues that those people are concerned about. Um, You canvass those people and say, what makes you mad politically? And then you send them mailings and and, uh, call them about those kinds of issues. So some people estimate that that turnout operation will add maybe 2 to 3 percent to the Republican vote above that in the polls by Election Day. I, I think that's maybe a low estimate. Mm-hmm. So these too close to call races could be swung a little bit more toward the Republican side. They could be. And yeah. again, the real challenge is that the vote that will be decided at the last minute will break, if it's been the, as it has been in the past, heavily in favor of one candidate rather than the other. Okay. And then the other question, and it's sort of the big elephant in the room. We've talked about this negative campaigning and, and you know, we've all seen it. We all decry it. We all say we hate it. So why do they do it? You can bet that if it really were so widely hated and had no effect, you know, the Democratic and Republican national parties are awash in poll data. They have done – the Republicans in particular have been very careful over the last six years to do a whole series of controlled experiments as to what gets people out to vote and what doesn't. And uh, if what they were doing was ineffective, they'd know it. You know, we just have to realize that these people, this is what they do. This is what they're expert at. This is what happens with negative campaigns. Yes, it makes people mad. However, some people it makes mad will be inclined to stay home on Election Day. Other people it makes mad will be generated to be even more likely to vote than they would have been otherwise. The kinds of people who form the first group, the kinds of people who get really teed off and can't stand it anymore and will just decide not to vote, tend to be the independents, those who are the least committed to a candidate or a party. They hear this and they think this is scandalous. I don't want anything to do with it. The folks who are the party's base are mobilized Mm -hmm. by negative ads. They are the ones who will wake up on election morning and say, if I have to get there on a stretcher, I will vote (laughs) on election day because look what they said about this other candidate and it's all true and it's horrifying. Now, why do the parties want this? Well, the independents are the least predictable of all the voters. Um, independents, because they're going to break one way or the other, are very difficult for the parties to be able to have a good, confident sense as to what they're going to do. The base they know about, that's what they need. So what they want to do is to use those negative ads to motivate the base, get it out to vote on Election Day, and expand it through micro-targeting. If the independents don't show up, well, that's a cost to the community, perhaps, but it's not the community that's running the ads. Mm -hmm. It's the parties, and we can't expect them to do something that goes against their interests. All right. Uh, Our guest today is Marjorie Hershey. We call her our political correspondent. She's also a professor of political science at Indiana University. My students call me other things. (laughs) (laughs) You have questions or comments uh, about the upcoming political campaigns and races, call us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can send email to noon at indiana.edu. And we have two callers. Thanks for being patient. We'll go to Jean first. Jean? Hello, Ms. Hershey. If you could please clarify your point about independent uh, television advertising, do I, so I can understand. Do you mean that um, as long as, let's say, the Republican Party uh, is independent of a Republican Party candidate, they can put any commercial on they want in the name of that Republican candidate and likewise Democrats? 
Okay, Jean, good question. Um, the Republican Party and the Democratic Party can put ads on both in coordination with a candidate and independent of that candidate. They have to have two different groups, one group which will work with the candidate's campaign that puts on the coordinated spending. The other group has to be a party group that literally is not supposed to know what the rest of the party is doing. It has to be an independent committee that functions in a different place that is not supposed to have information about the rest of the party's activities. The independent spending has to be uh, followed by a statement as to who paid for it, however. So it can't be that the National Republican Party can put on an ad and then say this was um, sponsored by the campaign of Ford's opponent. It has to be the case that the Republican National Committee at the end of that ad says this ad was funded by the Republican National Committee. Uh, Oh, I see. So can they they then directly... Uh, talk about a candidate. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. They can do whatever they want. They can say vote for and vote against. The okay. 527s cannot, but right. the party independent spenders can, and any other independent spenders. Independent spending is a right that the Supreme Court says applies to individuals and groups of all kinds. The only criterion is they cannot have direct contact with the candidate's campaign. Okay, Jean? Yes, thank you very much. I appreciate it. All Bye. Right. Thanks for calling. 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 if you're outside of the Bloomington area. And you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. John, go ahead. Hi, Bob. Hi, Mary Catherine. Hey, John. Hi, Marjorie. Hi, John. One of my One of my favorite guests on your program today. <laughs> thank you, John. I always I always learn something. And, and um uh, but I was I was wondering, it's kind of a question and, and a little bit of opinion thrown in. Um, we talk about campaigns being dirty and the, the different sorts of ads that run that are that are negative. Uh, given the American historical perspective of politics, which uh, this dirty campaigning, as I understand, has been going on ever since the beginning, was all sorts of uh, specious charges back and forth. It's, almost every kind of misconduct that there is. Um, do you think it's getting worse, or is it just part of our political tradition that's probably more obvious now because of the, the media? John, you're absolutely right. This has been part of our history. Um, charges of fathering illegitimate children were made against several presidential candidates. Uh, Thomas Jefferson was targeted heavily by negative campaigning. And it's not just in the United States. We see this all over the democratic world. It's just a part of the desire that, you know, power makes people do all kinds of things that we would not expect to see them do if they weren't um, anxious to gain power. Uh, Is it more common now? I think what's happened is that the provision for party independent spending has generated a tremendous amount more use of it now. It's just it's more in our homes now than we've seen in the past. I took a look at some figures from the Federal Election Commission about party independent spending in the last couple of days. There are 10 candidates on the Republican side for whom the National Republican committees are spending at least $2 million each in independent spending. That is less the case with the Democratic committees, not because the Democrats wouldn't have done it if they had the money, but because they don't have as much money as the Republicans. So I think it's just simply the media distribution. I just saw on YouTube this morning a whole series of negative ads on the parts of candidates of all kinds. Um, in, in terms, this is kind of a follow-up, but it veers off in a sort of a different direction. In terms of voter turnout, the, I, I read an article in the New York Times this morning about the Democrats are fearing that the disillusionment among black voters is going to keep them away from the polls because they think the election's rigged. They've experienced, you know, in uh, lower-income neighborhoods, machines that don't work, poorly equipped, not enough staff. So they, they may not turn out, and this may uh, hurt the Democrats' effort. Do you think that or negative campaigning is going to have more of an effect in this election? That's a good question, and I wish I could give you a good answer. I think that that 
suspicion about whether or not voting uh, is going to count in a lot of areas, and especially low-income areas where the counties are less able to afford uh, really good voting machines, is a problem all over the country. It's a problem that we have to address. We, if if uh, if ATMs worked um, the way voting machines do, we would see that solved within hours, um, as opposed mm-hmm. to the problems of election administration. On the other hand, there are problems with turnout on the Republican side as well. Um, after the Foley scandal broke, we saw sharp drops in the percentage of evangelical Christians saying that they were going to go to the polls, 15 to 20 percent drops. Given the fact that a judge in New Jersey has um, – has, um, the, the the wording is careful here and I, and I don't want to um, misstate it, but has said that um, gay marriage rights uh, are reinstated. That may change the willingness to vote of Christian evangelicals, and it may be that ads such as those run against Congressman Ford in Tennessee may reinstate the voting intentions of some African Americans. I don't know. It's uh, you know mm-hmm. anybody can say whatever they want at this point with great freedom because we don't have a clue. Yeah. I think that there's a level of sophistication um, present in some of these ads. The implications, for example, in the Harold Ford Jr., um, just kind of quietly a, a racial, a racist undertone to that. That um, I don't know. It's a little frightening. Okay, for anybody who hasn't been following this, Congressman Ford is African American, and the woman in the ad saying "Harold, call me" is white. Um, that and you know that's a good example of the challenges of independent spending. What what does the opposition in that case respond with? You know, um, no, uh, Harold Ford doesn't date white women. You know, I mean, <laughs> oh, talk about have you been beating your wife? You know, or yeah. when you stop beating your wife. I, I also noticed this morning in the paper that uh, the that President Bush and Republicans across the country are trying to use the uh, the gay marriage. Uh, in New Jersey as a way of rallying their conservative base. And we'll have to see in the next few days whether or not that is possible. The gay marriage issue kind of deflated a bit after 2004. Um, Christian evangelicals have some concerns about the Bush administration. They, uh, evangelical participation in American politics has, has ebbed and flowed for, um, for a couple of centuries in the United States. It tends to come strongly into political action at times when there are issues such as slavery or abolition of, of alcoholic beverages sale. And now with gay marriage and abortion and some other issues, but when politics doesn't move fast enough to deal with these issues, many Christian evangelicals understandably get disappointed and, and say, well, you know, what they told us was right. The secular world is just not our place. We um, just need to go back to the kind of uh, prayer and, and, and religious world that we come from. And um, that seemed to be happening for a while. Whether or not that can be changed in the next 10 days is going to be a really good question. And I think we're going to hear a lot about that this coming Sunday and the Sunday after that. I thought there'd be a stronger reaction um, to the book that came out and, and claimed uh, made the, the claim that the Bush administration actually was um, using uh, the Christian right in, in no uncertain terms and not very complimentary terms. And I was surprised that that, that story didn't have longer legs. You know, I think one of the things that's most interesting about this campaign is that we are in a period of intense polarization between the two parties. Um, about 40 percent of the public uh, are, are moving in the direction of very strong Republican views, another maybe 40 percent very strong Democratic views. And both of them simply uh, discount and mistrust anything they hear from the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've even seen media channels move in one direction or another. People who are concerned about um, too much dominance of liberal views are more likely to listen to people like Fox and Rush Limbaugh. People on the other side more likely to read the New York Times and some other outlets. And uh, they may not even hear what the other side is saying. Speaking of Rush, what was your reaction last night to his uh, assertion that Michael J. Fox went off his meds to um, make a stronger statement when he was uh, talking about the stem cell research issue? I think it's a good example of polarized politics that, um, you know, if if somebody said this in our living room, we would probably say, um, I'm so sorry that you feel the need to say something like that. But 
the polarization of politics is such that we can listen to something like that and say, you know, yeah, go get them. You know, why not? Um, it's, it's kind of like road rage, you know, when you don't have to confront people face to face and see them as individuals. You can demonize people very effectively, and that's one of the dangers that we've seen in, in politics in the last 10 or 15 years. John, thanks a lot for the call. Thanks, John. Sure. If I could throw one more thing in about what you were just speaking, sure. Keith Olbermann's uh, response to Rush Limbaugh is, is, is very eloquent, and it includes a very graceful reply from Michael J. Fox. You can check that out on MSNBC.com. Mm-hmm. Right. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. I look forward to calling you next time during the fun drive. Okay. All right. <laughs> thanks, a lot. thanks, John. All right, John. All right, well, we're going to take a little break. It's uh, Our phone number is again 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Marjorie Hershey is our guest, professor of political science at IU. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. This evening, the IU Theater continues with their presentation of You're in Town, the musical. At the Musical Arts Center, it's the opera Manon by Jules Massenet. The Cardinal Stage Company has two more performances of Václav Havel's Unveiling, and that's in the Rose Fire Bay of the Waldron Arts Center, tonight and tomorrow at 8. And the Bay Street Brass performs in Kokomo, Sunday afternoon at 2.30 in Kokomo High School Auditorium. More about these and many other events on our website, wfiu.indiana.edu. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg along with Mary Catherine Carmichael, and we're talking today with Marjorie Hershey, our political correspondent, and uh, she's a professor of political science at Indiana University. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. I want to break, sort of break this down a little bit and, and talk about Indiana because th- this is one of the first years I can remember that that congressional races in Indiana are, are considered, you know, toss-ups and part of the, this puzzle of who's going to control the House. So, so let's let's talk just at least briefly about three. Um, and these are these are races where a lot of money is being spent. Oh, I, I can't get over the amount of money oh coming gosh. into the state. I looked at some figures this morning. Uh, Chris Jacola and Joe Donnelly. Jacola is a Republican incumbent. Donnelly's a Democrat. Donnelly's raised more than a million dollars mm-hmm. in that district. So what are you hearing about that race? Is that – I mean I've heard from a lot of people that Donnelly is pretty safe there. I mean that Chicola is probably going down. It's very interesting that we have three Republican incumbents, all of whose districts were considered to be uh, within the margin of error for polling some time ago. It looks as though uh, at least if the election were held today, which of course it's not being – both Chicola and Congressman Hostetler from the 8th District appear to be behind enough that it's unlikely that they will recover on Election Day. Our own district, the 9th, with Congressman Sodrell and former Congressman Hill, appears to be too close to call. Let's let's talk about this business about you're, you're 10 days, 10, 11 days out, you're behind. Um, that that's, seems like, what have you got to lose? Go ahead and put the, the nasty stuff, say whatever you want, because what have you got to lose at this point? Right. Well, I think we've seen that, particularly in the Hostetler race. There were some news reports about a radio ad that uh, Congressman Hostetler has had in the last few days saying basically that if the Democrats win, Nancy Pelosi of San Francisco will be Speaker of the House and that her first action will be to put into effect the homosexual agenda that is supported by (laughs) Congressman Barney Frank. And, um, you know, the fact that Congresswoman Pelosi is from San 
Francisco kind of adds some mm-hmm. some support to that. Um, I th- I, we've seen some talking points in the last few days that um, – and Congressman Hostetler has consistently referred to the fact that Congressman Charles Rangel, Democrat from New York, from close to Harlem, would take over as head of the – what committee is it that Rangel will take over? Something having to do with banking and insurance – and uh, that John Conyers, who is uh, also a black representative from Detroit, Democrat, would take over if the Democrats take control um, with regard to intelligence and investigations. And um, it, this this is one of the things that is justified for for Republican incumbents and challengers alike to raise. What's going to happen if control of the House turns over? But goes. there is a subtle, less than subtle racial aspect to this. Okay, but you know we have free speech in this country, and people are allowed to say whatever they want. Now, uh, to people who find that offensive. What James Madison would probably tell them if he were running around right now is to say, you can't limit free speech because that's the beginning of the slippery slope. If you start to limit free speech, you limit people's freedom. So therefore, the only answer is more speech. If it bothers you to hear that said, then say that it bothers you and say why it does. The difficulty with using that remedy, the only qualm, I think that Madison was brilliant with regard to that, but the only thing that that is a little bit difficult to deal with is just that the Supreme Court says you need money to be able to uh, to speak, you know, mm-hmm. you can you can stand here in WFIU studios with the mics off and say whatever you please, and nobody will hear you. But if you want to actually be heard, you have to spend money for ads. If you do, then whoever raises the most money is going to be able to speak the loudest. Mm-hmm. And, well, and and again, getting back to money, in the hostetler Brad Ellsworth race, uh, I noted this morning. I think I said that Donnelly has raised more than a million; he hasn't spent a million yet. Uh, Ellsworth has already spent more than a million dollars. And in the Hill-Sodville race, this is a $3.5 million race at this point. Hill has raised more than a million and a half and Sodville's raised more than $2.1 million. They're pumping money into the ninth district because, as you said, Margie, it's too close to call right now. And there could be a lot of things happening in the next 11 days in that race. And I noticed that uh, Mrs. Bush has been here campaigning for Sodrell. Um, The president is expected to come this weekend. I had a question about that. What um, quid pro quo is expected in a situation like that? Or, or you know, what's going to – if Sodrell's victorious, um, let's say at least in part as a result – although it doesn't make sense to me, of these visits from President and Mrs. Bush, what will be expected from him? I don't really think there is much of a quid pro quo. I think that um, uh, both Congressman Sodrell and former Congressman Hill have been um, pretty down the line with their party over time, Congressman Hill less so than Congressman Sodrell. It's going to help the president if more Republicans are elected, and I don't think he's probably expecting anything more than that. Um, he wants to see the Republican win in this district because that improves the chances for Republicans to keep control of the House. And if Republicans don't keep control of the House, then President Bush's life is going to be more difficult mm-hmm. over the next two years. Now, right before we went on the air, um, I don't know that you could hear it because of your headphones, but I could hear a story that was was about the president's um, visit. And Cam Savage, who's with, with Sodrell's office, said that this is going to be positive, you know, despite the fact that the president President's approval ratings are down. He said the president polled very well in Indiana in 2004, That's and right. there's a lot of residual goodwill for the president. And I just wanted to get your reaction to that. This is not 2004; it's 2006, and things have changed. But when the president comes to stump for a candidate, it would seem to me that it would be a positive. That's right. There's no question. Um, Mr. Savage is exactly right. And um, the the main point here is to get across to the Republican base: we need you. We need to make sure you turn out and to motivate the the would-be Republican base, the people who tend Republican and who have not been coming out to vote. And that's right. something— I mean, for a nation at war to have a, their president come to their district is, uh, you know, that's an attention-getter, certainly. Sure. Even for a nation not at war. I mean, you know, presidents are, are very important people in American politics. And for a president to come all this way to support Congressman Sodrell is undoubtedly a help to his campaign. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Our phone number is 855-0811-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. And you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Our guest again is Marjorie Hershey, professor of political science at IU, and we're talking about the upcoming elections. Which, which of the uh, issues do you think are really um, sort of taking hold with voters this year? And I'm going I'm to list a few and sort of give me a, a yes, no, maybe uh, the war. Clearly, it's the number one issue in the polls. Um, a widespread frustration with the war on all sides. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure that many Republicans who support the war are frustrated with with how it's gone so far. It is the case that this week the the war in Iraq uh, achieved the same length as our participation in World War II, and it's it's natural that um, that is likely to help the Democrats. On the other hand, the possibility, the argument that this is a central part of the war on terror is is very important to the Republican base and uh, does not cut so negatively with them. What was your reaction to the president's speech this week trying to shore up support um, and, and talk about you know changing tactics somewhat? Um, do you think that that was effective? And is, has there been polling that would go either way on that? I, I, I don't know. I haven't seen a poll since that statement was made. I think there are two ways to look at that. On one hand, you could say that the president's statement might uh, help defuse some of the frustration and the anger about the direction we're taking by convincing people that President Bush is not uh, irrationally dedicated to certain kinds of tactics, even if they're not working. On the other side, it kind of weakens the president's standing a little bit in the sense that he's saying we're not entirely clear on where we're going next. So I'm not clear on whether or not that's going to help. Yeah, I was curious. Thank okay. you. What about, Go ahead. What about um, the economy in general and more specifically you know, the record level that the Dow has hit and you know, what, what that's doing for investors? Well, I'm sure that investors are are very pumped about that. But, uh, you know, investors have probably made their decision quite some time ago as to who they're going to vote for. The economy is just not showing up in the polls as being a very strong influence, which is very interesting because a lot of the numbers suggest that the economy is very strong. Now, that was also the case uh, at times when people would point out that, nevertheless, um, the income distribution is growing more unequal over time. So the economy may be strong overall. There may be a lot of people not sharing in that very strong economy. But this doesn't seem to be cutting very strongly in favor of the Republicans right now. What about the Foley scandal and ethics in general? Ethics in general is very important. Um, It's very important because there are a number of subgroups in the population, and evangelical Christians are a good example, whose concern is very much for the ethics of our politics. And uh, it becomes very troubling when you you take a look at a scandal like that. Quite obviously, Mr. Foley made his own decisions and no other Republican candidate had anything to do with that. But the question then arises as to whether or not the Republican leadership was aware of Congressman Foley's uh, predilections and and, uh, didn't try to do anything about it until too late. Immigration. Immigration is a fascinating issue. We don't see large numbers of uh, illegal immigrants running across the street in Bloomington, and yet there are a lot of people in this district and around the state of Indiana who feel very fiercely about illegal immigration. This is a symbolic issue. It's not an issue in which um, people's own personal livelihood normally influences their votes. We saw the same, for example, with busing 20 or 30 years ago. People whose children were being bused to school often felt less strongly about busing as a political issue than did people who would never be personally affected by it. It's a symbolic issue. It says something about which groups have which standing in, in the United States. And for an awful lot of people, that's exactly what illegal immigration is. It's a sense of people thumbing their nose at the United States, of people working hard and getting undercut by people who are illegitimate in, in – I'm not saying any of these Social are my standards. views, yeah. but yeah. – um, and that that has a powerful play. It has to do with the question of ethics. Mm-hmm. Healthcare. 
Healthcare is a fascinating issue because one of the things that <laughs> there I are a lot have, of those. <laughs> it, well, the, all issues are fascinating to me, yeah, I guess. Right. But um, the thing that really strikes me about healthcare is that that's the one area where I've seen campaign communication this year that combines campaign mailings with grassroots lobbying, saying uh, a particular incumbent has been the friend of seniors in being able to get healthcare benefits that they need, and call that member of Congress and tell him or her to vote against an amendment that Congress may be looking at further on in a, in a legislative session after the election is over that would allow the government to negotiate with drug companies to possibly bring down the prices of prescription drugs. Um, the, the pharmaceutical industry has a lot of money. It's made a lot of profits and it's spending a lot of that money on 527 groups. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm going to lump these together. All the news we've been hearing about North Korea and also just sort of basic homeland security and and terrorism. It's an underlay all the way through the campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, How it cuts is very difficult to determine. On the one hand, uh, North Korea may be testing nuclear weapons could frighten some people and suggest that we need an even stronger Republican leadership. Uh, So we need to support President Bush and the people who will vote his way in Congress. Others could say, well, if if President Bush has been there for six years, um, why is it that we're still seeing this? Um, Should we blame President Bush for the fact that we still seem to have these insecurities? Mm -hmm. It's going to cut different ways for different people. Okay. Last thing on my list, and Mary Catherine, you can add to it or Margie, if I've forgotten things, please jump in. But, but um, I guess paying for the war and, and just deficit spending in general, does anybody care about the deficits that we're running up? No. <laughs> that's, <laughs> it's too complicated an it. issue? Or this, is just, the, this is the shortest answer you'll ever get from a university yeah. professor. You usually, <laughs> you usually have to take a hook and yeah. haul us away from a microphone. Um, the deficit's a very complicated matter. You know, I mean, I remember when it was explained to me when I was in high school that, well, this is the money that the United States owes to itself, you know, and I was thinking, so why can't we just say, well, let's forget about it, okay? All right with you? Sure. All right with you? Right. You know, it's just a mystery to most mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And uh, the deficit is is very substantial. Um, but on the other hand, most of us don't feel that in our daily lives. Right, right. right. And when your leg's on fire, you're not too worried about what color slacks you're going to wear. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Whoa, Mary Catherine. <laughs> Maybe that was a little editorializing on my part. I, I don't know. <laughs> Any other issues from you? Uh, or shall we move on? No, I have okay. a question, though. No, no, Let me I don't give the it. phone numbers again. Right, we have you, 10 minutes to go in the that. program. So if you want to ask uh, Margie a, a question or if you want to make a comment, please phone us 855-0811 or... 877-285-9348, or you can send the email to noon at indiana.edu. My personal sense, and I could be way off, um, is that these uh, the kind of, I call them fear-based social issues, um, seem to be packing less of a punch um, than they did uh, just even a couple of years ago. It's, it's like, you know, we've heard about these, the threats have been... Uh, levied and yet, you know, the sky hasn't fallen. Um, do you think that they're still giving, getting as much uh, bang out of, out of those? Are you talking about gay marriage? I am. Uh, it waxes and wanes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's always possible that it could wax again. And whether or not this ruling out of New Jersey causes that to happen is an open question. Um, things in public opinion don't tend to kind of come up and then disappear forever. They, they come back up in different forms over time. And this is also uh, a symbolic question. Mm-hmm, it's a, it's right. a question that has to do with people's feelings about sexuality and about traditionalism. And those are things that don't go away. Um, the question is whether or not people feel uh, motivated to cast a ballot on that basis because of things that they're worried about today. And um, although we've seen a lot of change in views about gay marriage, that over time in the overall population, um, gay rights have become more accepted and particularly among younger people. Interestingly enough, younger people's views are markedly more tolerant of gay marriage and gay rights than older people's views are. 
but the views of the Republican base are not that way. And um, they uh, hold their views very strongly and are entirely entitled to them. And uh, that, I think, will remain a very important part of the voting for some part of the Republican base. Okay. Thank you. All right. Uh, we're getting some phone calls, I think, but before we, we put them on the air, I, I just want to ask, you've, you've followed uh, elections for many years. Off-year elections are – yeah, I know you always find interesting things about off-year elections, but how would you, how would you characterize this you know, off-year pre, – off-presidential year election in terms of uh, intensity, importance compared to, to what you've seen in the past? Very high. Very high intensity because of the spending involved. Um, The amount of spending uh, generates more advertising. The more advertising there is, the greater the intensity. Um, Very important because uh, when party control of Congress is at issue, then um, the change in public policy that could result from that is extremely important. And that doesn't happen all that often. This this is a big deal. That's right. Not since 1994. All right. Our producer has been very busy. We have three callers waiting to talk. We have about seven or eight minutes to go. So, Nate, go ahead. Yes, I was just wondering if you'd touch on uh, alternative energy and how this election will affect moving forward. Good question. Oh, that is a good one. We should have had that on our list. Thanks, Nate. Energy policy. Okay, this is certainly an issue in in Indiana races because Indiana is a major producer of corn, which can be used to generate ethanol, which can be used as an alternative to or a supplement to gasoline. Alternative energies um, are obviously something that uh, even the oil industry has to look at for the future, for the post-petroleum age. On the other hand, the question is how we get from here to there. And I think there, pretty much everybody is stumped, and that makes it a a somewhat less intense issue in the campaign. Okay. We'll go to the next caller, and it's Allison. Allison? Hi. Hi. Am I on the air? Yes, you are. Um, I just wanted to thank you for the show and the, and the current climate. It's really nice to have clear information, oh, you know, real information. And I'm very impressed with the um, knowledge background of doc- Dr. Hershey, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Correct, yes. Um, I did want to ask for clarification on something you mentioned earlier, the New Jersey decision. Um, my understanding, it wasn't, um, the court didn't say you need to deal with gay marriages. They wanted the legislature to deal with gay unions. That's and right. I think that might be an important distinction because the court is not saying we're deciding this. Um, we want the legislature to deal with this. So if you could just kind of, I, I, I think it was just a quick comment. I just wanted to be sure that we make it very clear. You're right, Allison. That's that. I'm glad you mentioned that because that is the precise way that the ruling was stated. However, that is probably not the way that the ruling is going to be heard by a lot of people, and it's certainly not the way that the ruling is being portrayed in mm-hmm. campaign well, advertising right now. Sure, we got it right. Yeah, that's, that's a great right. point, Allison. Well, anyway. Allison, if you had two million bucks and some independent expenditures, you could. <laughs> <laughs> Much. Oh, thank you, Allison. We have lost our third caller, so we still have time for a call or two. If you want to try to join us, 855-0811-877-285-9348. And email address noon at indiana.edu. Um, Dr. Hershey. <laughs> Mar- Mar- Margie. My, my yeah. children always chuckle yeah. at that. It's like <laughs> if, uh, if, you know, if there are issues you want to talk about that, that's certainly fine. I want to sort of go back to the beginning and the – um, the uh, the numbers that you cited earlier from Cook, uh, because I think that those are really significant about the stakes and and what the numbers are showing right now. The stakes are clearly that if Charlie Cook is right, and I haven't seen Charlie Cook wrong to this point, uh, although goodness knows anything could happen between now and a week from Tuesday. We've got 11 days until Election Day. Everybody is waiting for the October surprise. And, mm-hmm. you know, the only thing that I would add is just it's probably going to be October surprises. You know, mm-hmm. it, the world doesn't stay quiet um, in the 11 days before Election Day. If it turns out to be the case that the Democrats do gain control of the House, some people might argue that it might be to the detriment of the Democrats in 2008, Mm -hmm. that it might be um, preferable for the Democrats to have a better chance in 2008 by having no fingerprints on anything the federal government has done between now and then. So this may not be an advantage for the Democratic Party in the 2008 election. Mm -hmm. But you said also it would be a very close margin if if, – 
Mr. Cook, Dr. Cook, is right, <laughs> is correct. And then the Senate is Charles, really we do, we, Charles, Charlie. Yeah, yeah. Charlie. And the, the, the Senate would have to would possibly swing four to six seats to the Democrat, and they need six to take control. Mm-hmm. So it's a razor thin possibility. Everything would have to break right. It wouldn't be at all surprising to me if the Senate broke fifty fifty. Mm-hmm. And in that case, it will be the vice president who uh, casts the deciding vote, just as was the case in the past. Um, and if that's the case, you know, particularly uh, given that the Democrats are more fractious party than the Republicans are, it's going to be really tough for yeah. the Democrats to be able to get any kind of agenda put forward in the next two years. Uh, they've made clear what their agenda is. Um, I'm not altogether sure that anybody is paying much attention with all the negative stuff, but it centers around minimum wage, health care, and investigation of um, Bush actions in Iraq. Any Republican senators look like they're kind of breaking ranks? Well, I think uh, if it turns out to be 50-50, um, I wouldn't want to be the, the senator who breaks ranks from the party. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I All right. We have a call and an email, so let's try to slide these in. We only have about two minutes to go. So, Velda, if you could be quick. Thanks okay. for calling. Uh, I would like you to make a statement about people who refuse to vote for one reason or another. Uh, please point out that they're giving away their right to vote that they're give away, if there's a right to be heard and that they can lose more than they gain by doing this. Thank you. Thank you, Velda. They are giving away the right to vote and yeah. they are losing. I, I agree well with said. you 100%. Mm-hmm. Well said. All right. And I have a quick question. How do citizens take the issue of increased power of the president's and apparent loss of freedom, also U.S. attitude toward inhumane torture? There are a number of people who feel very intensely about this question. They are not a majority. Uh, I think one of the toughest things to do to talk to people who feel very intensely about torture and about other questions such as this habeas corpus is to help them understand that the the depth of their view is perfectly understandable for them. But this is not a voting issue for the overwhelming majority of Americans. Hmm. All right. And with that, we're about out of time. But I think we would all probably say just go vote. Mm -hmm. That's right. I think it's an important uh, responsibility and privilege. And I always say take your kids with you if you can. All right. Thank you for being here, Marjorie Hershey, Dr. Hershey. We're really <laughs> very happy to have welcome. you here. Our, our Dr. Poli- Zaltzberg. <laughs> no, 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 no. Our political correspondent. seen a lot of them lately. Political. Our, our political correspondent uh, for Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Catherine Hegeman, and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and The Herald Times.